Good morning, Grace Church. The uh, reading this morning is from John 1. John 1, page 163 in the Church Bibles. Good morning to you online. John 1, page 1063. It hasn't actually got the number at the top of the page, but it is 1063. It's next to page 1062. <laughs> if you're looking for the page. <laughs> John 1, starting, starting from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thanks so much, Martin. Good morning. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, t- today, just uh, over the next few weeks of, of Advent and Christmas, called Please to Dwell. And uh, we, I nicked that from a book by Peter Mead, um, which I really recommend to you. Um, but uh, so over these next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these amazing passages in the New Testament that speak of the incarnation, that speak of uh, God with us. Um, And so this morning, here we are in in John chapter 1. Let me pray for us before we dive in. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. 
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can know you because you have revealed yourself to us supremely in your son. We want to thank you for these amazing words that we've, we've just read together. And we pray that as we consider them now, you would fill us with joy and awe at, the, at, at, at your son, the Lord Jesus. Please, by your spirit, would you help us to understand these words and help us to rejoice in them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. Well, I wonder whether you know that uh, Santa once punched a heretic, as um, tradition goes. Uh, Here's a depiction of it up on the screen. Um, As you may know, the name Santa Claus is derived from St. Nicholas, who was a bishop who attended the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. And the council had been called in response to the teaching of a man called Arius. Uh, Arius claimed that Jesus was a created being. Arius would say that Jesus was the first created being, so he's better than everyone else, but that he was created nonetheless. And so there was a time where he didn't exist. The story goes that St. Nicholas listened quietly to the arguments, but in the end, when he could take it no longer, he got up, went across the room and smacked Arius right in the face. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, good old St Nick uh, Maybe we should start a new Christmas tradition of punching heretics well, Maybe not um, Well this was not a debating point for him This was a crucially important truth And actually a vital truth for our salvation If Jesus is created Then he is not truly and fully God Now why is this important? Well, our understanding, our understanding of who Jesus is is the most foundational and important thing about us. It shapes absolutely everything else. And the world around us that we live in is confused about life, about God, about identity, about truth, about the future, about sin and brokenness. Jesus Christ speaks directly, powerfully into all of those things in life-changing ways. But for many around, they might say, perhaps, perhaps even you this morning, who is Jesus to tell me how to live my life? Who is Jesus to claim to have the truth? What right does he have to do that? Well, that flows, that attitude flows from having too low a view of Jesus. On the other side of the coin, uh, throughout history, there have been those who've thought that the divine, that God, simply wouldn't become human, as that would lead to the divine becoming tainted and polluted and corrupted. So Jesus cannot have become fully human in their mind. Now, we might not see that view expressed in that way too much these days. But again, we see a confusion in our world about what it means to be human. We see a degradation of the value and dignity of our human bodies and of creation, all flowing from that same kind of thinking that spiritual, that's good, physical, that's not so good. And the thought underlying that, again, is a 
is a wrong understanding of Jesus. So amidst the darkness and the confusion, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, speaks directly and powerfully in life-changing ways. And there's no subject that has more darkness and confusion surrounding it than the subject of who God really is and what he's like. Earlier this year when we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3, verse 11, we, we came across these words. He, God, God has also set eternity in the human heart, yet none can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. On the one hand, God has written eternity on our hearts. So in other words, we, we have this innate sense that there is more than just the here and now. And yet, on the other hand, we can't really fathom what's, what's going on. We, we can't fathom who God is and, and what he's done. And there's things that we're just not able to understand on our own. Amidst the darkness and the confusion, look how John sums up the introduction to his gospel. Have a look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. These are incredible words. I don't know if you know the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. The idea that the more familiar we are with things, the more we read and hear and, and, and know stuff, that the more we lose the sense of wonder that we had the first time we thought on these things and, and, and heard on these things. Well, this morning I want us to try and recapture that sense of wonder at, at these things. And uh, I think it was Augustine said that this chapter in John's Gospel is deep enough to, for an elephant to drown in, but um, shallow enough for a toddler to paddle um, harmlessly at the same time. There's so much that we could say from these amazing words and, and verses. We won't have time to get into all the ins and outs of it. But to frame our time together, I want to, to, to look at two key questions. Two key questions. Number one, why can we trust what Jesus reveals to us? And number two, why can we trust that Jesus is for us? So first of all, why can we trust what Jesus <coughs> tells us, what Jesus reveals to us? Well, we need to start at the beginning. And the beginning of John's gospel is very different to the beginning of the other gospels. Now, if you and I were, were writing an account of someone's life, we'd probably go into details about their parents and where they grew up and kind of, you know, etc. All, all those sorts of things. With John, there's no shepherds, there's no angels, there's no wise men, there's not even Mary and Joseph. He goes back to the beginning, the very beginning. He's very deliberately using those words, echoing the first words of the Bible in Genesis that we've been seeing over, over previous um, weeks. So have a look at verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. John calls him Jesus, the word. Logos is the Greek word that's used there, which would have brought up a whole range of cultural and philosophical chords um, resonating in the minds of, of his first readers as they saw that word that John's chosen to use here. But the first thing that we see is that the word, Jesus, has no birthday. Um, and now maybe you've got awesome cutlery. If you've got kids, you've got an awesome cutlery song ringing around your, your head now. He has no birthday. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It seems logically impossible. He was with God, and he was God at the same time. How, how can that be? It's enough to make my brain fall over. Again, to quote awesome cutlery. With, the word with here was with, is literally towards God. There's a picture of intimacy here. It's been face to face from all eternity. There's never been a time where he has not existed. There's never been a time where he has not been face to face towards God the Father. He is before all things, Paul tells us in Colossians 1. There never was when he was not. The word was with God and the word was God. And this is huge. This is uh, John unambiguously affirming Jesus' godness, his deity, (coughs) saying unequivocally that Jesus is fully God. Don't be in any doubt about what John is is saying here. He's not saying he's a bit like God or he is a God. He is saying definitively the word is God. Now when when the Jehovah's Witnesses come banging on your door saying that that's not the case or saying that, well, when you look at the original Greek, there's not a definitive article here and so rubbish, forget it. There's a perfectly good Greek word that, um, that John could have used if he was wanting to say that Jesus is a bit like God and he's sort of God-like, but he deliberately doesn't use that word. It's, it's, it's 100% clear for John as he writes these words. The word was God. We can be in no doubt. Especially as we see what he says in the rest of this section about Jesus as well. It is perfectly clear the word was God. But yet there's mystery here at the same time as well, isn't there? He's saying Jesus is not the totality of God. Jesus is not the entire Godhead. He's with God and he was God. God is more than one person. As as, uh, as Christians, we, we, we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, united in love, distinct from, from one another, but all equally God at the same time. There's profound mystery in this. 
But that's what John sets out for us here. Jesus, the word, is eternally, fully God. And has eternally been with God since the very beginning. And to underline his, his point of uh, Jesus' godness, look at verse 3. Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning, as we saw in Genesis, God spoke and the world was created. And so John, describing Jesus as the word, evokes that connection powerfully, doesn't it? Through Jesus the word, God created everything. Now if you ever want to get, get a, a sense of just the wonder of creation, for me, I look up at the stars at night, perhaps not when I'm in London, because it's just sort of a bit hazy fog. But uh, I, I wonder if you've ever asked the question, how many stars are there? Um, yeah, here's what NASA said. Um, Astronomers estimate that the universe could contain up to one septillion stars. I don't even know that septillion was a, was a number. But, uh, but there we go. So that's um, 24 zeros there. Um, our Milky Way alone contains more than 100 billion stars. And that's just our galaxy. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The vastness of this universe. And then when we went through the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 16, we read, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the stars. He also made the stars. So it's just a throwaway comment. Oh, oh yes, he, he also made the stars. It's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? We're, we're back to kind of brain falling over territory again here. John is saying, through him, through the word, all of that was created. Every breath we breathe is a gift from him. He is utterly supreme over everything. So we need to listen to him. And we can absolutely trust everything that he reveals to us because of who he is. I had uh, a great illustration while we were away on um, Star Focus uh, recently. And so I'm going to steal that now. And I want you to imagine a jigsaw. And I want you to imagine the jigsaw is representing your life, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, and kind of what's going on here and now as well. So maybe you've got one piece, this, this is my job, and uh, you know, partner, kind of connect that, children, security, pensions, holidays, nice car, you know, all, all of those sorts of bits. We're trying to fit them together <coughs> in our jigsaw. Where does Jesus fit in, into our jigsaw? Or maybe we can just sort of squeeze him in here. Maybe he'll fit in if I just take that, you know. <laughs> but the reality is, when we see passages like this and the message of the Bible, Jesus doesn't want to fit into your jigsaw. Jesus doesn't want to fit into your jigsaw. He calls you 
to become part of his infinitely bigger, infinitely more glorious jigsaw. Isn't that a challenging thought? Doesn't that perhaps reverse the way we think about things? Isn't that such a helpful corrective for us? Here's the thing. How big is our view of Jesus? If we're just trying to squeeze him into our jigsaw, well then he's not really Lord. We are. Jesus calls us to to repent of that. To come to him, to bow to him as the Lord of all. So we thought why we can trust what Jesus reveals to us. He is Lord of everything. But why can we trust that he is for us? And as, as we kind of see these verses that spell out just the, the sheer majesty of the Lord Jesus, the word, I want us to see what, G, what John is presenting for us here. He's not presenting the word, the Lord Jesus, as a kind of needy, self-absorbed black hole that's sucking glory from, from everything. Far from it. It's actually completely the other way around. Out of his fullness, the word is communicating. He's giving. He's sharing. Verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 16 and 17. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is, this is not a picture of a God who is cold and indifferent and holding back. He is communicating. He is giving. He is sharing. And if that wasn't enough to show us that he is for us, verse 14 drives the point home. And then so. And then, and then so. Have a look at verse 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. Older versions of the Bible say that um, he, he tabernacled himself with us. That he pitched his tent and he came down to, to live with us. And this is the astounding truth of the incarnation. When we, when we consider what we've just been thinking about. About how awesome he is. In Jesus The word of God comes to us. He doesn't phone us or send a WhatsApp. God takes on flesh. God lies in a manger. God plays with other children. God eats round the table. God sweats on the roadside. God sleeps in the boat. God shares our human weakness. God experiences our temptation. This is the wonder of the incarnation. God is clothed in human flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And this is so important for us. Because if we want to know with confidence what God is really like, we can just look at Jesus. He is the perfect image of God. Verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. 
God is unseeable and unknowable except in Jesus who makes him known because he himself is God. What is God really like? Look at Jesus. He left the glory of heaven as we've sung already. He entered the pain and confusion of of human history. He rolled up his sleeves to, to pitch his tent to live amongst us on his rescue mission to give to give his life for us. Christianity is not a call to embrace a, a kind of system of thought or a, a, a religion or, or a moral code. It's the invitation to embrace a person or rather to be embraced by a person. That's um, Tim Chester quote. That's great, isn't it? It's the invitation to be embraced by a person. That's what Christianity is. And that chimes with what John's saying here in chapter 1. John describes the the Christian life, Christianity, as in, in terms of becoming children of God. Have a look at verse 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, nor husband's will, but born of God. We are born again as children of God. That's a big theme for for John as you go through the rest of his gospel, particularly in chapter 3 as Jesus chats with Nicodemus. But notice verse 12 and 13, becoming children of God, it's all of God. It's not based on human ability. It's not based on human will. Verse 12, we believe, verse 13, because we have first been born of God. Isn't that glorious? What a status that is. Again, when we think about the lofty truths that we've been thinking about already in this chapter, the God who, who created this entire universe, who sustains it moment by moment, left heaven, rolled up his sleeves, became flesh. More than that, poured out his life on the cross in our place to make you, to make me, his child. How, how, how do you respond to that <laughs> great truth? Well, in this chapter, we get a sense of the tra- the, just the tragedy of how some responded to him then and still do today. Verse uh, 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So when Jesus first came, and still today, there are those who don't know him, don't recognise him, and frankly don't want to know him or recognise him. It's not that, for for many people, it's not that they can't believe in the Lord Jesus, it's that they, they won't believe in the Lord Jesus. Later on in... Chapter 3, verse 19. 
Jesus says this, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they won't believe. I wonder if that's, if that's you this morning. Well, what's stopping you from seeing the truth here about the Lord Jesus and turning to him? I hope, I hope you can see why we can trust what Jesus reveals to us. I hope you can see why we can trust that he's for us from these verses. And he's calling us to the, well, the security and, and love and a privileged position of being part of his family. Not because there's anything special about us or because of anything that we've done to deserve it or to earn it. But because of his grace, his love, his initiative. I want to finish up just by thinking for a few moments about being a child of God. Those of us who are Christians here. How do you think God thinks of you? That makes sense. How do you think God thinks about you? Maybe you think, I'm I'm accepted in Christ. Yeah, I'm forgiven. But I wonder if you're ever tempted to think that he's just tolerating you. That he puts up with your weaknesses and your sin for the sake of Jesus, but his acceptance is reluctant. Maybe even begrudging. I wonder if we're ever tempted to to feel like that. Well, that just couldn't be further away from what we see here in John. John, writing in 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. Same writer, same guy in his letter says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There's no arm twisting. It's just extravagant love poured out, flowing out from God. The reality is, if if you're trusting in Jesus, he's chosen you to be his child. I hope most of us, what we know from our, our experience of family life, that being a child is something that's not conditional. It, it's something that can't be changed. If my son Barney, if he does well at school, do I love him more because of that? No. If he gets in trouble, do I love him less? No. I love him because I love him. Because he's my son. And if that's true... Of me, How much more true can that be of, of our Heavenly Father as he thinks about you, his child? God loves you because he loves you. When he thinks of you, he smiles. He is for you. And he has demonstrated it by becoming flesh. By pouring out his, his life for you on the cross. Even when we didn't want to know him or accept him. Even when we loved darkness instead. He poured out his life for you and for me.
So let's, this, this Christmas time, let's make sure we, we carve out time and space to meditate on these great, great truths. To see that God is for us and that we can trust him. Let's pray. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the great love with which you loved us. Thank you for these glorious truths about who you really are. Please, Lord, would you change our thinking where it needs to be changed? Would you humble our hearts where we need to be humbled? Would you show us the depths of our sinfulness and our need? Would you show us where we love darkness instead of light? Would you help us by your spirit to repent of those and to come to you for your embrace? for your forgiveness. Thank you that we can be children of God, not through anything that we do, not through anything about us, but purely because of your grace, your goodness, your love. Thank you that you are for us. And our Father, we pray that you would help us be like John the Baptist. We've not thought about him at all from this passage, but we pray that you would help us to be signposts pointing people to to you. Help us this Christmas time to, to meditate on these great, great truths. Help us to be pointing our friends and our family who don't know you yet to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks very much, Tim. Um, Our final song is a song of praise and worship. So let's uh, stand when the music starts and sing King of Kings. Praise forever to the 